Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Safe Senior Hour. And again, uh, the Safe stands for Seniors Abused fi- and Financially Exploited. And uh, this is Joe Vallis, your host. And uh, we're very fortunate today to have a, a guest with us that um, I, I just thank the world of, that she is the, a, one of the true dedicated public servants I know. She's the assistant special agent in charge of the unit at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation that investigates um, at-risk adult uh, crimes in Georgia and coordinates the activities. Uh, her name is Heather Strickland. Heather, welcome. Thank you for making the trip over today. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Uh, Heather, if you could just give our, our, our listeners an idea of, of your background and how did you ever get into this business? So I have been with the state of Georgia in law enforcement for almost 20 years. Um, in 2015, I was lucky enough to be promoted to the um, ASAC over the Crimes Against Disabled and Elderly program with the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Um, and since then, um, GBI has um, taken the kind of the lead um, with training local law enforcement and also um, investigating abuse, neglect, and exploitation of both disabled adults and also the elderly. In Georgia, um, in Georgia, an elderly person is anyone over the age um, that's 65 or older. Right. And um, as you, Heather is, is sought after at, to, as a speaker throughout the United States, uh, and does travel, and we'll get into some of the, the, the areas where you've been and, and some of the conferences you've been at. But as we talk, since this is a nationwide show, th- that term, at-risk adults, is it can be interchanged with what vulnerable adults. and Yes. Um, uh, some states, only um, their laws are only uh, dedicated or more um, and advanced for seniors, um, and in, depending on each state, a senior might be someone 60 and older. It might be someone who's 65 and older. So the definition of what an at-risk adult or vulnerable adult is going to be different um, in all 50 states. Right, and, and just check with your states. And, again, I always want to make mention that none of us here are lawyers. If you have any issues, contact your lawyer, contact the Legal Aid Society, or uh, contact the professionals in your state. There's always a counterpart to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation in every state, your local police or your local sheriff, or the regulatory agencies. Do you want to just give an idea of some of the agencies you work with and the coordination that's needed? Absolutely. So these cases cannot be worked by law enforcement alone. Adult Protective Services, um, which is in all 50 states, is definitely one of our most important counterparts. Um, they'll go out to, in Georgia, they'll go out to um, to, to people um, who are in their own home. Um, we also have health care facility regulation, um, which goes into licensed facilities such as nursing homes. We also have some smaller departments, Division of Aging Services, um, Forensic Special Initiatives Unit, which also helps educate law enforcement on what abuse, neglect, and exploitation is. So um, there's a big collective um, or collaborative um, effort uh, to make sure that our seniors and our disabled adults are protected in, um, here in Georgia. And just a reminder for our listeners, just the, the we use in, in our task force, the North Georgia Elder Abuse uh, Task Force, that three types of abuse. One, physical and I think we, as we talk, we can pretty much see what physical abuse is to uh, to to our, our our seniors or at risk adults. 
the second is a financial uh, abuse, and that's by far the biggest. Seventy percent of all abuse to the to the elderly is uh, uh, financial, and the vast majority of that is by relative loved ones uh, or caretakers. And the third is institutional abuse, which covers like nursing homes, assisted living, and personal care homes. So I think as we talked about that, um, Heather, I, th- I think you could just, if you could just go in what each does again to, for, for the institutional abuse. Because I think people, uh, they all know of some loved ones that are in an institution, a personal care home, or assisted living. So um, in the institutions, the nursing homes, the personal care homes, there's always um, abuse, neglect, and exploitation, um, the same as in um, the, the um, out in the community with people that live in their private homes. There could be sexual abuse that occurs within the institution. There could be, um, you know, nurses and um, CNAs or other people that are working in the facility that are um, – or stealing jewelry. Um, there could be, you know, some other types of financial exploitation where they might take a credit card and go use it for some personal purchases um, and then neglect um, when they're not cared for um, in a timely manner or not um, given the proper medications um, or being over-medicated as well. Yeah, I think that the, and uh, again, most personal care homes, nursing homes, assisted living, are very fine places. They're responsible. They have very, I think, what, federal, federal regulations for some of them? Yes, absolutely. So um, the majority of the of the institutions out there do a fantastic job. There's always, um, you know, the a, a bad egg in every bunch, um, and those are the individuals that the, the unit that I oversee um, is interested in um, in trying to hold accountable for what they, um, you know, for the crimes that they, that they do perpetrate. How, how does... How does law enforcement or your your unit? You're going to describe what your 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 unit does. How how does law enforcement or regulatory people get these complaints? Remember, because elder abuse doesn't report itself. So how Absolutely. does it come in? So um, anyone that is, well, we have mandated reporters in our state. So that would include anyone that is required to report child abuse is an automatic um, mandated reporter for crimes against disabled and elderly. Um, people that work in institutions, um, nurses, firefighters, um, law enforcement officials, um, you know, police and sheriffs, um, bankers um, are mandated reporters um, to make sure that if there's a change in banking habits that they send a report to both um, APS and local law enforcement. So Georgia is a dual reporting state to where you have to call law enforcement and then also um, the protective agencies such as Adult Protective Services or if they're in a facility, healthcare facility regulation is going to be who um, you would have to report that to um, here in Georgia. So we've got um, you know physicians, um, clergy um, all, are also mandated reporters um, in Georgia. As you can see, it, this, each state has their own rules and regulations, yes. so you have to look at your own state. Georgia, we're very fortunate here, has very very aggressive uh, elder abuse uh, statutes and reporting requirements. And when we say mandated reporters, what does that mean? So if you are one of those individuals who's listed as a mandated reporter, then if you suspect abuse, neglect, and exploitation of disabled or elderly individual, then you are required by law 
to call the police and also adult protective services or health care facility regulation. And there are um, fines and um, criminal charges that could be taken if you are aware of it and you do not do um, as, um, as, as you have to um, pursuant to state law. And, and remember, all this came about from just various cases and, and situations because uh, elder abuse doesn't report itself. It's got to be reported. Uh, and if you could draw a comparison um, to how where we are today compared to, what, 20 years ago with child abuse and how the laws have, I think we're, we're evolving, aren't we? Yes. Um, Georgia um, has done a fantastic job, along with a lot of other states out there, um, in enhancing the laws um, to protect our seniors and disabled adults. Um, I know um, the cases that GBI has opened up um, over the last couple of years has gone up um, 81% um, since 2016. So I think that people are more aware of what it is and know how to report it through the trainings that have been done throughout our state. And also um, our criminal charges have also increased um, because law enforcement understands what it is. Um, our prosecutors understand how to um, to charge someone and make sure that we have some sort of conviction um, on the books for those individuals. Well, as you all know, last time I think we, we mentioned I'm a retired federal agent that worked organized crime and labor racketeering and that brings up people think of the RICO laws that the federal government uses to combat uh, uh, racketeering type uh, uh, activity. In the state of Georgia each state usually or most states have their own racketeering uh, RICO laws. Absolutely. And here in Georgia we're unique in that it's uh, uh, one of the elements for RICO which gives the state more power to come in quickly, stop, and and seize issue seize um, property that have been used illegally to hurt uh, to hurt the elderly, right? Yeah. So um, the predicate acts is the legal term, but right. um, if there is financial exploitation um, to um, an elderly person or a disabled adult, then that that's a predicate act to charge RICO. Um, and with RICO, a lot of the time the, um, the, the crime is going to cross county lines, city lines. And with RICO, our prosecutors are aware that they can charge all of those um, outside of that particular jurisdiction um, in the case if they charge with RICO. So if it happened in four different counties with four different um, victims, then one prosecutor could incorporate all of that into one case. It absolutely goes to help to help our seniors, and we're very proud of that. And uh, uh, in Georgia, that we are kind of the the one of the better states for laws against um, the exploitation of the seniors. Uh, I think. Uh, have you seen uh, an increase in the cooperative ventures in terms of of these personal uh, unlicensed personal care homes, which is a, an issue in our state. Could you go into that for a minute? Sure. Um, unlicensed personal care homes are homes out there that um, that are providing services for people that are unable to live by themselves. Um, they're not quite um, to the condition that they need to be in a nursing home, but they do need someone to make sure that they, you know, take a bath every day. 
and fix their meals for them. Um, and we do have some fantastic um, licensed personal care homes, and that is um, that occurs through our healthcare facility regulation, Department of Community Health um, State Agency. Uh, but there are some people that will go to shelters, homeless shelters, out of hospitals, out of jails, and ask them, hey, do you get money? And when they mean that, do they mean that they get Social Security disability? Do they get um, food stamps? Um, EBT is what we call it here in Georgia. Um, and if so, then they'll say, hey, come live with me. We'll take you. I'll take you home. I'll give you a nice place to live. Um, and then they will then um, exploit them out of every single dime that they get from the government. A lot of times there are multiple homes owned by the same owner-operator. There might be one licensed facility, but then when someone comes in that makes less money, um, then they'll move them to an unlicensed home and keep the licensed facility for someone that makes a lot more money. Generally, there um, most people on disability get about seven hundred and thirty, maybe seven hundred and fifty dollars a month. Other people that might have a pension or VA benefits would get a lot more money. So those individuals would stay in the licensed facility, where the one that makes less money would be moved to the unlicensed facility. Um, and a lot of times they are uh, not cared for in the manner that they should have. So they'll eat maybe a sandwich or two a day, get some juice. They don't. They might not get the medication that they need, or they might get too much medication. Um, we've seen some severe neglect cases um, in these homes. All right. I think for the next, uh, we're going to be going in the next uh, segment. In a minute, we'll go into an example of a case that you're familiar with that took place here in Georgia. Sure. With that, we'll go for our, our first break of the day. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. Obamacarewatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. Obamacarewatch.org. Visit us now. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Happy Oregon Homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to Happy Oregon Homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
and welcome. We have been uh, since joined by our, the North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force Foundation um, board member, um, Kim Schur. Kim, welcome. She was here last week. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Joe. And we're going to go through uh, just some examples uh, with uh, Heather Strickland with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the ASAC, who runs a unit that oversees this for the state of Georgia from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation's point of view. And we're just getting into some examples, and and Heather's going to go, and and, uh, we asked her, and so she's going to address a couple cases she's familiar with she can talk in details so you, you all can see what it's really like out there on the other side of of uh, uh, of the world dealing with, with elders, with the elder abuse, uh, whether it's physical, financial, or institutional. Heather? So one of the cases dealing with an unlicensed personal care home um, occurred in DeKalb County and has been prosecuted, so I'm able to talk um, about it. Um, and there one day an officer was just riding down the road and saw a gentleman um, kind of disheveled looking, um, um, kind of uh, pulling a blanket behind him. So she stopped to make sure he was okay. Um, he gave this horrible story about being locked in a basement. Um, she uh, took him to the house. There was another resident that lived in the basement as well who was in the front yard. Um, she cooperated the story that he was telling her. Um, and they, um, both of these gentlemen, um, were locked in the basement for up to six months, um, not fed um, as they should. They had a um, bucket of water to, to use to drink, which was filled up, um, you know, every couple of weeks. They had um, um, a bucket similar to what the, one of those big Home Depot five-gallon buckets. That was their bathroom. Um, so they had to, um, you know, use it um, if they had um, if they had to defecate and then also um, to if they had to pee um, and that's the one bucket that they had to use um, and it was all in one room there were two cots the victim described it as something um, that a kid would jump on like a kid trampoline size um, and like I said they weren't fed the um, the, the local police department um, the DeKalb County uh, Police Department actually um, got a search warrant, and um, one of the victims actually had um, the uh, owner-operator's name on his bank account, so she was able to um, access his money as it came in um, when she was actually neglecting him. Um, that case was picked by um, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, which is a large um, police organization that helps train and educate um, and also provide some resources. And they did a roll call video um, to make sure that uh, law enforcement throughout the world had access to, to know about these cases um, and, uh, and the steps to take in order to prevent them as well. Right. They, again, as we spoke about it before, several of the people on the, on the bad side of this business of taking care of the elderly are in it just for money. Absolutely. And, and this is a good example. And we have numerous examples like that in the state of Georgia. But I think we've got to remember as, we, as we're talking to our audience that criminals, uh, exploiters, scam artists, what, a county boundary, a city boundary, a state boundary, and now we're saying country boundaries don't mean anything to them. Absolutely not. And, and, I, and you'll see things... Um, Evidence that we find in one state helps the crime in, in another state. Um, 
I think one of the areas we talked about was EBT cards. Right, so food stamp cards. And they found in one of the cases here that the, that the cards of an elderly person here that were issued to him showed up in South Carolina being used. Um, so it just shows you have this black market that goes on, mm-hmm. and they sell and trade the, these items. Um, what happened to the two uh, two gentlemen? That that what you know what what does the government do when they find situations like this? So we have a great um, number of agencies that get together when we do find an unlicensed personal care home and law enforcement is involved. Um, then we will shut the facility down. We will come in and relocate um, all of the residents um, to a licensed facility, and we're lucky enough to have some funds for the state of Georgia to pay for up to seven days for them to be relocated to another facility. Of course, um, in that in that seven days, they can, um, if they would like to stay at the new facility, then they can try to get um, all of that paperwork kind of completed. Um, but we certainly take them out of that horrible situation and put them in a more licensed facility where they're going to be cared for like they should be. And And... To law enforcement, you know, having been in the business for almost 30 years, you know, it was always easy. You went out on a search warrant, you dealt with drugs or guns, illegal guns. You know, there there was a commodity. Here we're dealing with people, living conditions, their lives, and it takes, you know, it takes a whole community of law enforcement and uh, regulatory people and civilians to help out to take care of this. Um, I believe one of your cases was uh, like a nursing home or a huge assisted living in, I think it was up in Commerce area, where uh, I remember I was shocked that they said it took over 100 people to do the searches and, more importantly, take care of the um, of the residents that they have to move and take out. Because most of these residents, they might have a medical issue, and they might have to be taken in ambulances. It, it a lot goes into it. And we started here the uh, North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force. Actually, I think two years ago, we're going to do it again. We do uh, a tabletop exercise of how to handle it to bring all the all the people together. You know, tabletop exercises are done for like the Super Bowl or done for uh, you know what happens when a hurricane hits. Well, this is just as big to the community when you're dealing with moving numerous people from one location to another, trying to protect the evidence and trying to secure uh, um, the premises. Absolutely. Um, so we do. Um, we try to train law enforcement on how to work these cases, and we do a lot of training, and that's a lot of my job is to go to the areas that need assistance. We've done um, training on um, responding to calls dealing with Alzheimer's and related dementia because those calls are not the same as any standard call that are no call is a standard call for law enforcement. But you certainly have to approach those um, with a different mindset. Um, And so we do a lot of training to make sure that regardless of the situation, that law enforcement has what they need um, to to know how to approach it properly and uh, and safely. Yeah, what's been very, very enlightening to me as we go around, we've conducted the North Georgia Task Force probably over 30 training um, uh, seminars for law enforcement and regulatory people, probably over 200 uh, personnel in that, in, in that vein. 
and get to know the dedication and the uh, the 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 effort they put in that they don't get recognized about. There was a matter in up in one of our northern um, smaller counties where the word came from. Remember, elder abuse doesn't report itself. Um, a phone call came in, and it was a woman was roaming the streets, and they knew she used to live in a personal care home or assisted living, and they didn't know why she was roaming the streets. And uh, law enforcement was called and said she was seen in this town. And we talked to the um, or the, the, the sheriff's department in this case spoke to the. Uh, uh, the, the community public service that handles seniors, almost every community has senior buses where they, they take people around. They said, yes, she used to live in a, this big assistant living, but we've seen her. She's come on the bus. We've dropped her off at a bank, and she comes back in crying that she doesn't have any money. Um, so they tried to find out where she was living. It turned out she was living in like a a, a small little um, almost a, a, a bigger than a closet area, but a very small, old, dilapidated kind of apartment. And nobody knew where she was. She was missing for a day or two. The sheriffs on their own drove around this town, found her, talked to her. She said she hadn't eaten in two or three days. She had no food. She had no money because there was a mix-up at the bank. They picked her up, took her to a grocery store, got her about $80 worth of food, got it in her little refrigerator, fed her, located a relative who had been looking for her uh, to help take care of her, and put her back in touch with the, with the Adult Protective Service to try to take care of her. Is there any arrest in this story? No. Is there anything that you're going to see on the front page? No. You're just seeing the dedicated work of, of law enforcement trying to help, and they will do that on many occasions. Absolutely. Um, I know just over the weekend I saw a story um, where it was um, a lady was 80 miles from her home. She was dazed and confused. Um, she had Alzheimer's. Her husband was a very sick individual, so he wasn't. He had uh, taken some medication and had fallen asleep. She'd snuck out of the house, um, and law enforcement um, reached her, um, and she was, you know, crying, upset because she didn't know where she was and didn't know where she needed to go. Um, and they actually um, drove her home. They put her in um, in the car. She had two small dogs with her. Um, they put her in the wow. patrol car, and another officer drove her car 80 miles to her home. Knocked on the door. There's her husband. He started crying because he was just so happy to see her because he was terrified. I wasn't real sure what to do because he had no idea where she had gone. Um, and so uh, I hear stories about law enforcement officers assisting people with Alzheimer's and related dementia um, who have gotten lost um, quite often. Right. And, and I think the specialized training that they have. Would you explain the training you went through through the uh, – the, uh, they, how you act like an Alzheimer's? Right. So they have, um, off the top of my head, they, um, I'm trying to think, it's virtual, um, like almost like a virtual reality type training. Right. So where you put on goggles and headphones, you put on um, gloves that have beans and um, something on your feet that have beans to give you um, the sensation of tingling hands or not being able to use your hands um, like you might be able to now. 
Um, you've got the headphones on. You've got, like, you know, the sound of a train and someone yelling at you at the same time. And so you're very kind of distracted by those noises coming in. And then um, the people that put on the training um, will tell you to go um, and uh, attempt to do um, a couple different tasks. And so it gives law enforcement um, and then also um, people that work in facilities kind of the idea of what it would be like to um, to be affected by um, dementia and, um, and Alzheimer's. I know you, you went through it and, and you were very moved by it and, and it gave you a total different outlook or view on what people with dementia goes through. Um, I think we're about to break for, um, for our second break of the day. With that, we'll come back and we'll go through and talk about the scam of the week. All right. We'll be back. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to Happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back. Uh, as I said, we're going to address, we're going to start a new uh, uh, segment for the, for the weekly uh, show, and this is going to be the Scam of the Week. And today's scam is very interesting, and I think a lot of people, as I speak to, to civilians, we've spoken to over a thousand of them in the in, in the Georgia area. And again, I remember I said there were no borders, so a lot of these meetings along the borders of Alabama, Tennessee, and uh, uh, South Carolina, uh, we have people from those states coming to these training sessions and and uh, and discussions about uh, elder abuse. So today we're going to talk about the. It's referred to as the grant, as a grandparent a, a scam. And uh, Heather, do you just want to go generally what it is, and then we'll go into some cases here. Sure. Um, a lot of times the phone will ring. Um, elderly people usually still have a, a landline, um, and so they can. The scammers can go through the phone book and look for names like Ethel. Um, you know, names that uh, that would kind of signify someone that might be elderly. Make the phone call. Hey, Grandma, do you know who this is? Well, the unsuspecting grandmother might say, Oh, well, hi, Heather. How are you? Well, then the scammer doesn't really have to do a whole lot of work because 
they just said the grandparent or the the granddaughter's name, um, and then they can you know I could say or the scammer could say I you know I've um, I've hit a hard time. Can you send me some money? Um, or I've you know been locked up. My friends in Mexico. Um, it could spin off in so many different directions. But that person actually um, is not that grandchild. Um, and we've seen people send you know thousands and thousands of dollars, huge amounts of money. Time. Huge amounts of money, and it's a, it's it's happening more and more. As I said, I spoke to 130 citizens over in Northeast uh, Georgia the other day, and I had five or six people who received calls um, on this grandparent scam, and it does have the various twists. And the questions they ask: Why? Why me? Why? Why us? Well, as we spoke every last week, the elderly of our generation are very trusting. Absolutely. So you trust people, probably to a fault. Second, we're able to save a little bit of money, whether we have it in a, in a bank account or we have it in a box in the back room, we've saved money. But more importantly is uh, we love our families. Not that other people don't, but we have a, a unique love for families, particularly kids, but really grandkids. And they love to help their grandkids. And the scammers know this. And the scammers will, will, will play on this. Um, I'm going to give you a, a real story that, that happened here. And the, the conversation is based upon interviews with the victims. Um, she lived out in the Northwest in her 80s, received a call from somebody who claimed they were uh, like John Smith, a special agent with the Drug Enforcement Administration. And and said she said, yes. And she said, yes, I was told to call you by your grandson, and he paused. And so what did she say? Greg? Well, she just told the scammer the name of her grandson. Well, you know Greg's word, the name Greg, is in everything he says. Well, Greg had me call you because Greg doesn't want his parents to know that he's been arrested here in Atlanta, Georgia, for transporting narcotics. And Greg says, you can help him out, that we can go to you, and and you'll do it because he doesn't want to be in jail in Atlanta. So the the elderly woman um, um, says, oh, well, I'll do anything to help Greg. And, and the alleged agent says, now don't call his parents. He doesn't want you to call his parents that you can help. She says, well, what can I do? The, uh, the phony agent, the scammer says, go to your bank, take out $9,000 in cash, take the cash and put it in a magazine, put the magazine in a uh, FedEx box, and FedEx it to this address in Atlanta, Georgia, and and that'll help get Greg out of jail, and because he doesn't like the jail here in Atlanta. So the the elderly woman says, "Well, I'll do anything to help Greg." And of course, they plan that. Now you will help Greg, won't you? Now don't tell anybody. So she goes to the bank and withdraws nine thousand, brings it back home, puts it in a box, uh, in a magazine, puts the box in the I mean the magazine in, in a FedEx and sends it to Atlanta. Well, these scammers, we're talking about their professionals. We were talking about it beforehand. It's easy money. They're sitting at a desk like we're sitting here now. And they're, uh, they're just trying 
to hit. I'm going to try to find that one person that, that I can really perpetrate the scam on. And it's called phishing, P-H-I-S-I-N-G instead of F. And they go phishing. And in this case, like if you're going phishing and you go to a fishing hole where you catch fish, you're going to go back and fish again. So they called, uh, when the woman sent the 9000 once they received the 9000 cash, what are they going to do? They're going to go back to the same fishing hole, and they call her back and said, Greg wanted me to call you again. Thank you so much for the money, but we kind of got bad news. There are more drugs than we thought, so we're going to need another 9000 And Greg says, I, 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 he's really sorry to do this to his grandmother, but... He knows you'll help. Just don't tell his mother because he, he would really be in trouble. She said, well, okay, I, I think I got 9000 She goes, to, same same deal. Go to the bank, get 9000 cash, put it in a magazine, put it in a FedEx box, send it to Atlanta. She does that. So now the bad guy scammers have 18000 And she wants to know when Greg's getting out. And they said, well, pretty soon because we've got to go to the judge. So they wait two days after they receive their money. Now they have $18,000. <laughs> so they go back to her for the third time and said, Greg wanted me to call you. We don't have good news. Said there were hidden compartments in the car Greg was driving, and there are a lot more drugs than we thought, and the judge does not like it, so we need $15,000 or else Greg stays in this Georgia prison here, this Georgia jail. And she said she almost started crying, and she said, I don't have any more money. I think I have a CD I can go cash. And this make-believe agent, the scammer, says, well, you go down and you cash that CD, and two hours I'll call you, and I'll give you instructions. If you want your grandson out, if, if you don't, that's fine. But he's sitting in jail, and he says, only you can help. So she starts crying. Well, in about another 10 minutes, there's a knock on the front door. And who's at the front door? Greg. This is out in the Northwest. She says, Greg, what are you doing here? He said, what am I doing here? I came to see you, Grandma. He said, you're supposed to be in uh, in uh, Atlanta in jail. He said, I've never been to Georgia. So he tells her the whole story. They get a hold of the sheriff and the police. And sure enough, obviously it was a scam. Um Thank God they went to the police. The police got a hold of the authorities here in Georgia. And it turned out where the FedEx box was going to was a hotel that they registered in, never stayed in the room. But they came by and picked up the packages. It was a very sophisticated group. It was a runner. And uh, investigation determined, I think, three or four other states in the same time period where calls went out and played the same scam and they sent money in and I believe, and I don't know the exact amount I think it was close to $160,000 they cleaned up in just uh, what, three or four days work. He was arrested um, and as they say when uh, in, in, in the business he lawyered up and which means you know, he doesn't tell anybody knows nothing. We used to say it if anybody ever remembers, and I'm giving my age out, Hogan's Heroes there was a guy by the name Schultz on it, and they'd ask Schultz, what did he know? And he says, I know nothing. I see nothing. 
<laughs> well, that's what these do. When they lawyer up, that's exactly what they do. So he's going to, he's being tried and hopefully through other ways of getting into his phone and other things that the law enforcement will try to tie this in. But it's a very significant problem. That's one of them. Uh, Heather addressed the issue that somebody said, I'm in Mexico, where he gets on the phone, and he's got a crankly voice, and say, Grandma, this is so-and-so, I need you to help me. Um, they're even brazen now where they'll just say they're in the United States. I'm in New, I'm in, uh, New Mexico or Arizona, and it happens. The um, uh, Going through some of the news, and I have to tip my hat to the Baker Fraud Report, which comes out weekly, they, they directed uh, me to the South China Morning Post. And the headlines here um, deals with, um, uh, in this case, it's the romance scams, but scams are happening all over the world. And that's what I'm trying to, to get out. This just doesn't happen here in the United States. It happens everywhere. Um, Australia has have had uh, numerous scams. Uh, so when somebody calls, first of all, we tell people, if you don't know the number, don't answer. Absolutely. Good advice. Yeah. So there's lots of scams. Um, one of them is the Nigerian um, lottery scam. Well, if you didn't play the Jamaican lottery or the Nigerian lottery, then you can't very well win it. Um, right. But they'll, you know, ask to send money so they can release your winnings. You have to pay your tax dollars. Um, so if you don't know the person, don't answer the phone. Don't talk to them. Please don't give them any personal information either. Right. And, um They've just shot in the Consumer Protection Report from the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, they were saying that uh, roughly 75, uh, 20% of people, 25% of people, 70 over, have reported um, how they've sent money based on a phone call, which is crazy. Or sent these uh, these cards. Uh, uh, the scammers it used to be where you they'd want hard cash like the nine thousand, but now they'll accept cards called. Blue. Um, so there's a green dot card. Um, they'll ask you to wire money, or they'll ask for iTunes gift cards. So right. if they're asking for gift cards for any type of payments. It's gonna be a scam. Some other red flags might be. Um, um, pressure to act immediately. You can't wait. You have to do it now. Um, being asked to pay money in order to receive the prize, um, like we were just talking about the green dot on the iTunes cards, using scare tactics. Um, if you click the wrong link, it might lock your computer down. Um, they say you have to give them um, you know, information to unlock it, um, and uh, that's not necessarily true. Um, so just make sure that if you don't know the person or if they're demanding that you do something immediately, that you call law enforcement and right. report it. Right. right. The Federal Trade Commission put out in their Consumer Protection uh, Data Spotlight Report um, for November 2018 said that uh, losses over the past year reached $41 million, uh, of the last year previous, uh, compared to $26 million in the previous year. Uh, 
And, of course, they warn you that, like many scams, they start with the phone calls we just talked about. And half reports the cash payments people said caller claimed to be in jail or other legal trouble. That's what we're talking about, the grandparent scams. And about a third of these reports mentioned so-called car accidents. Some mentioned uh, texting or drinking while driving. The callers play on the people's emotions and sense of loyalty. They may be told they're the only person trusted enough to call for help, and they're often told not to tell anyone, just exactly what we were talking about. So with that, we're going to move on to our our last segment, and uh, we'll be back shortly. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verifying your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're back for our last segment. Um, as I said, we did the scam of the day was the grandparent scam, but a scam that is constantly happening to more and more people in all areas, not only here but all around the world, is the is the romance scam. And... Um, Heather, do you want to address that? Is there anything? And then we'll go through here some details here. So um, the romance scam, um, it might be perpetrated um, through online dating services that the um, elderly um, people are looking just for some companionship. Um, also on Facebook, I know as the kids say nowadays, Facebook is for old people. I can say that my child has told me that personally. <laughs> so um, and so, actually, my ninety, almost ninety-five-year-old grandmother is on Facebook. So she actually was on it way before I was. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and so um, they are on Facebook, and there might be some sort of um, fake account. Um, that uh, that request uh, to be your friend, um, they might spark up a conversation. Um, but in actuality, that person is sitting in a boiler room across the the world, um, just telling telling the elderly person what they want to hear um, because they do know that they're lonely, or they make a phone call um, and they build that uh, rapport, that relationship. And they um, will send money when they hit hard times. Um, and it happens a lot of times. They're, um, they claim to be um, with the uh, one of our armed services because we all know that we love our military 
and um, our gentlemen and ladies that are um, are serving our country and they might need some help and I would bend over backwards myself to help someone um, who is you know um, in the armed services um, if they needed a hand and a lot of times they pull on those heartstrings of the elderly people because they have kids and grandkids that are in the service um, or that might be someone who's claiming to be a veteran um, and they tell war stories um, and so they look forward to those conversations with those individuals whether it be over the phone or online right and and i think heather makes a good point it's online people are lonely and they they like to or just like to interact on on online with various people um the the baker report as i said sent us to the south china morning post that um uh 92 percent of uh of uh about $400 million uh, were involved in Internet love scams in the Hong Kong area. They, they talk about here that in a joint operation by Hong Kong, Malaysian, and Singapore police arrested a total of 52 people and, sm- and smashed a traditional online romance scam ring that people said duped had more than 140 people out of $110 million Hong Kong dollars. The reason why we say this is because, as Heather just said, when you're online, you don't know who you're talking to. You think you're talking to somebody next door. Uh, a a, a uh, case that sticks in my mind is a woman in, in North Georgia. She was in a, a um, retired, uh, an, uh, an accountant at a, at a major company, retired, and just got online. And none of these things happen fast, this romance. Right. They, they kind of lull you, and that's the term in the profession. They lull you with letters or with, uh, in case, emails. This woman gets online and meets this gentleman who she believes is in Birmingham, Alabama. She lives outside of Atlanta. And uh, she said she knows him by email only. She met him online. But they seem to have a lot in common. And more and more they talk, more and more they planned on seeing each other. But looking back, she said... Uh, Every time I was said I was going to be in Birmingham, he happened to be out of town. When when I invited him over here, he said he was coming to uh, to Atlanta area, and then business took him elsewhere. I never met the guy, never saw him, but I had a picture of him. But I know we were very compatible. Uh, he said um, it started on a conversation where he said he would like to come over, but he's having a little trouble with accounts receivables. And so he's trying to, to, to collect this $500 that he really needs to keep his business going. And she said, well, if that's all you need to do it, I'll send you $500. So she sent, she wired $500 from the Atlanta area to Birmingham to this gentleman. Long, long, long story short, $55,000 later that she wired money because she said we were so compatible. And it's just... She said, I feel so dumb. I should have known better. I've never seen him. And every time we went to meet, for some reason it didn't happen. So the authorities, if I, and I'm trying to remember correctly, decided, well, who, who is this person in Birmingham? So they took the time to follow one transaction. And the one transaction they followed was a wiring of money to, uh, I believe it was Western Union in uh, Birmingham. They went over, and enforcement authorities in Birmingham said, uh, who received this wire transfer, whatever the number was. 
the Western Union said, well, nobody did. We had instructions to wire it to Toronto, Canada. So they got with their counterparts. I think it was either the Ontario Provincial Police or the RCMP. And they went to this Western Union-type place in Toronto and said, we want to know who received this amount of money. We're not talking a lot of money. They're just trying to find out the trail of the money. And they said, well, nobody did. This money was wired to Amsterdam. So they sent over, I guess, a request to Interpol or to the the Netherlands Authority. They go to Amsterdam and said, who received this money? You know, we're following the money. Atlanta, Birmingham, Toronto, now Amsterdam. They said, nobody. It was wired to Lagos, Nigeria. And when we went there, there was no record who received it or whatever it was. But it just shows you the transactions, what happened. So when I say people in Singapore arrested, there's a good example. You know, it's things happen overseas. We have a case in, in North Georgia, um, uh, right near the Tennessee line. Uh, this uh, uh, woman has, uh, and, and has put in over $200,000. But she's lonely, and she says, as you said, I know it. I've never met him, but that's my choice. And yep. that's what we have to mm-hmm. remember. We have self-determination, right? Absolutely. So um, where if there was a child in a situation that was horrible, um, we uh, could pick him up and, you know, take him to foster care. Um, but with adults, they have autonomy and self-determination. So if they have, if they're of right mind to make decisions and they want to spend their money um, giving it to someone who they've never met, then unfortunately there's not a whole lot that we can do um, to stop them. Um, a lot of, there's tons of barriers um, to, to reporting depending on the source that you're going to. One in 22, maybe only one in 24 cases is actually reported uh, out of fear, protecting the aggressor, because it might be their their son or their daughter or their neighbor, um, and they don't want to report. Um, social isolation, uh, self-blame and denial a lot of times, and uh, inability to report. Sometimes they don't have the mental capacity to report it, or the physical impairment um, might keep them from doing it as well. Um, so if you are a neighbor... Excuse me. If you are a neighbor and you're not sure about um, something, um, please inquire about it. Call your local police department and just tell them why you think that there might be going some that there might be something going on. Um, and if you just see something in the community, make sure that you talk with local law enforcement or adult protective services in your state uh, to, to make sure that that person isn't being taken advantage of. All right. I, I think the. Uh the message here is find somebody you trust and and whether it be a, a, a family member you trust, whether it be a neighbor that you trust, whether you be your pastor, your, your priest, your religious leader, whether it would be um, someone else that, that you can trust, discuss this with them because it helps to get it off your chest. Most of the victims, we talk to them, they say, well, we knew. We should have done something. I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't want to tell somebody, you know, and then be embarrassed. Didn't want to tell my family. So, you know, try to, try to you know, deal with people that, that are the elderly and let them know. Find somebody. Try to get them talking about what's going on because that's a big, uh, a big issue. A, uh, a story about neighbors helping neighbors 
and people trusting people. And I, I think it's funny, and it's happened here in, 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 in North Georgia, right again near the Tennessee line, uh, in a rural part of the rural part of the uh, state. There are what's called traveling criminals. Do you do you want to touch on that? What they are, the travelers. So the travelers are generally a pack of individuals that go from place to place. They might hit uh, one town. Um, grab as much money as they can through whatever scam they decide to do. It might be paving, roofing, uh, pine straw scams, which pop up a lot in the springtime, roofs. 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 Um, and uh, then they'll move to a different location. Right. And so in this case, it was the driveway scam. And uh, there's two women in their 80s, both, I think they were widows, friends, but in a rural area, they kind of lived across the street from each other, but not like on top of one another. But one was the, the quiet neighbor, and the other was known as the nosy neighbor, is the way it was described to us. Well, the quiet neighbor had a knock on the door, and these two gentlemen said, we were paving. Your, it's your lucky day. We noticed your driveway needed work, and we have extra materials down the road, and so we can come here in for a small fee. We'll redo your driveway. Usually it's just pouring oil on it that doesn't do anything. But they were there in the truck, and, and the truck was unusual, so the nosy neighbor gets up, gets out of her house, walks across the street, and goes in and knocks on, on, on her neighbor's door and said, Ethel, what her name was, Ethel, what's going on here? I see this truck here. What are these men doing here? And she said, oh, they're these nice men. They stopped by and said they have such a deal to do my driveway. And, and um, I just said, sure, it wasn't a lot of money. And so the nosy neighbor walked away from her, the way the story goes, walked down to the driveway where these two men were working, took out her cell phone, and started snapping pictures of them. And the two guys looked at her and said, Hey, lady, you better quit that or I'm going to call the sheriff. And the nosy neighbor said, You don't have to worry. I've already called them. They're on the way. said, Those guys couldn't get in their truck fast enough, and as they were backing out, she took a picture of the license plate. They took off, went down the road. The local sheriff did come out, passed it on to their investigators. They did take it to the district attorney, and a a, uh, warrant was issued for attempted exploitation of a senior on this type of scams. So there's a lot of good in being a nosy neighbor or helping each each other out. Help your neighbor, help yourself, help your relatives. Um, We're about to wrap up here, but I do want to say one thing here that um, if you would, I think uh, we have an email here called uh, safe at americasradio.com. If any of our listeners out there have any kind of scam stories that you know of that your relatives have been involved in or you have, Please email them to us. We'll go over them. We'll look at them. Because, number one, you're not alone. People are getting scammed all the time. And uh, we'd like to just go over that and talk about them in general on the show. Uh, I want to thank our guests today, uh, uh, Heather Strickland from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. We appreciate it. We appreciate your service. And, uh, Kim, uh, thank you for coming from the Foundation. Thank you, Joe. And, again, where uh, the Foundation is overlooking for people to help with donations.